Welcome back to the Violence Design Lab. On episode 39, I'm going to be talking about a problem that affects not just new violence designers, but sometimes afflict us old veterans as well. You have all the plot points that your fight needs to hit. You've set up these amazing characters. You know their goals, their intentions, and there is this incredible emotional arc that they go through during the fight. But when you see it in performance, even though the actors are acting it, the choreography seems, well, meh. It falls flat. You're not sure what happened, what's going on. Today we're going to be talking about seeing your designs with the audience's eye. Out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Greetings, thank you for joining me. David here. If you are interested in theatrical violence, stage combat, or fight choreography, you have come to the right place. I am the founder of TheViolenceDesignLab.com, and I've been designing theatrical violence for over 25 years now. I started this podcast to be your virtual coach and online mentor, here to encourage you to improve your stage combat, to coach you to choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. The problem we're going to talk about today is the disconnect between the fight we see in our head and the one that gets onto the stage. Now, when it comes to designing theatrical violence, we have to remember that everything we do needs to be focused towards telling a story of violence to an audience. It doesn't matter what your grand design plans were, doesn't matter what actor or what theater logistics you're working with, no matter what amazing character things are going on in the minds of the performers, what the audience sees and hears, that is the story that you are really telling. Now, when we are presented with a design challenge, it comes from the script and has certain plot points it needs to hit, and with our research, we start looking at exactly what needs to happen. We begin with those plot points usually, you know, Hamlet has to change rapiers with Laertes. He has to be stabbed with a poison one, get it back, stab Laertes, kill Claudius, etc., etc. This is usually where we start, figuring out literally in the plot what happens in the script. This is how directors usually imagine violence as well. They see the function of the violence in terms of plot. Now, We, as violence designers, can and should help them go beyond this. And in fact, I'm going to have an entire episode on that next week and how we can take them beyond the simple plot points. So stay tuned for that. But after we have figured out what the absolute must-haves are in our design, we usually move on to the characters, figuring out their goals or what each character wants from the violence. But we have to remember... Goals, of course, are internal thought processes that we need to express physically. Because, again, if the audience cannot see it and they cannot hear it, it didn't happen. Actors can think whatever they like, but we can't see that. And this is not an easy process, this changing from an internal thought to an external physical expression. Sometimes it's not done very well. Many of you might be familiar with uh, a movie adaptation of one of your favorite books or book series. And sometimes they seem to recreate the book faithfully, other times they don't. If you're a fan of the Frank Herbert Dune series, the Dune movie was 
inscrutable at best. I hadn't actually read the books before I had seen them, and I had to have my wife translate for me as to what was going on, because the things that people were doing didn't seem to make any sense. Because Melissa had read the books, she knew about the internal motivations. She sort of explained to me what was going on. Otherwise, I was lost. The same thing is kind of true in the recent Hunger Games series. Uh, They're fine movies, and, and I enjoyed them, but if you compare them to the books, they're very different. Uh, they were done incompletely because a lot of the Hunger Games books are devoted to Katniss and her internal struggle to decide between Peeta and the, the smoky handsome one, uh, Gale. And there's a lot of back and forth there that they can't do as much or certainly as directly in the movie besides some lingering looks here and there. Uh, but So it is a process that is a very difficult one, to take an internal motivation and express it physically. Uh, If you compare another uh, famous uh, fantasy adaptation, which is Lord of the Rings, this is a film that I think did did very well at portraying the book. But if you read the, the book series, Tolkien, while he certainly does give some insight into the character's thought processes and motivations, he doesn't dwell there. It's not all about how they think and what they're feeling and their motivations. It is more about what they do, and I believe that is easier to translate to a visual medium like film or like theater. So we're taking this internal thought process and trying to express it physically, and that's not, that's not easy. But once we have that, and we have the plot points and the character goals, then we usually go ahead and we design a fight and we come up with what we think is something pretty cool. But, here is a proverb that I keep reminding myself time and again, every show I have to remind myself. The audience never sees the fight the way we did when we choreographed it. Now, I'm old enough that I remember the birth of video games. And uh, in the late 80s, I don't know if you're familiar with this one at all, there was a a fairly groundbreaking video game uh, called Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, you know, guy escapes from Nazi castle that has these weird science going on. And he's fighting big zombie monsters. Okay, and there was a one that came a few years after that called Doom. And I know I'm showing my age here, but what I'm getting to is the idea of what is now called the first-person shooter. This, these were seminal video games that showed your video game avatar or character in an entirely different perspective. It showed it from within the character's head, as if you were looking through the character's eyes. This was revolutionary in video games at the time. Rather than seeing the whole character, you only saw their arms and hands, or the weapons they were using at the time. And that really changed how we did a lot of video games after that. There was a ton of first-person shooters, and I'm sure you can name 15 off the top of your head. But remember, that is the way it looks when we choreograph. When I'm fighting, I'm seeing out of, well, me, my eyes, as if I'm the character. I look down, I see my weapons, and I see my arms, and I not only just get that visual input, but I also get tactile input. I get sentiment de faire from the connection of the blades. I get the physical feeling of grappling with someone. I also know how hard specific techniques are to do. And 
that I get that sense of how cool it is to perform them correctly. So I'm getting all of the sensory input when I choreograph. I'm getting the feel of actually attacking or seeing a blade come at me that I defend and then I'm doing a cool technique and I can feel the blade slide on mine. I can feel how that punch you know, goes into their body. I get all of this input. But the audience isn't getting that. To liken it back to video games, they're getting the old style, the sort of left-to-right video games. If you're familiar with Karate Champ of the 80s or Street Fighter of the 90s, that's the video game they're watching. They're watching two people side-by-side, side. we're seeing them in mostly in profile, doing a fight that's almost in two dimensions like those old video games. And I am often called to work at theaters that have raised stages where the eyeline of the audience, certainly in the first few rows, is about at the actor's knees or lower. And that really shortens the depth of field that the audience is aware of. It is very difficult to see behind these actors. The thing is, when you take a very nuanced and complex choreography that when you're acting it has all this amazing sensory input and you reduce it down to a simple visual of two people, stage left and stage right, facing each other and swinging weapons back and forth and we can hear the impact of the weapons and that's all the sensory input you get, you then begin to understand how that signal of your, all your choreography and everything you've done attenuates or diminishes as it reaches the audience. The choreography that you felt was terribly innovative and cool, and maybe was, don't get me wrong, but often when you put it in that flat, almost two-dimensional uh, presentation uh, that the audience is receiving, it doesn't look as cool. It's hard to discern what people are doing. It doesn't look as flashy. And honestly, a lot of the moves that are very challenging are very difficult for an audience to understand are challenging. I know that's, uh, I'm not explaining that terribly well, but if I do a very cool pressure or an attack in opposition, that's a wonderful attack and it has all this, this martial logic bound up in that and it, it's a great attack. The audience, however sees me poke my sword at the other guy. They don't see all the nuance that went into that. Not all of them. There are some that would appreciate it. But there's a lot of that that gets lost. If, however, uh, I do a front flip before I, I do that cut, then people go, wow, I can't do that. Now, of course, the, uh, the purist in me, the historical realist in me, rebels at the thought of putting, you know, just these kind of gymnastics or acrobatics in a fight in a realistic toned show. I don't like doing it. But even I have to understand that there will be things in choreography that are cool and that make martial sense and will be lost on the audience. Now, please don't hear me saying that I don't think you should include those in your choreography or your design. Please do include them. Even if the audience doesn't understand them, their, their effect on the relationship between the characters can still be communicated via acting. So even if the audience 
doesn't know uh, basically uh, ligadura from a hold of the wall, you can show how the relationship of those characters change, and you can show that one person is in pain, even if the audience didn't necessarily know how the other person's arm was locked in that position. So you can still do those kinds of things, but you need to understand that sometimes our choreography looks a lot cooler in our minds than it does on the stage. So you always need, in the back of your mind, to have that audience's eye uh, kind of running the whole time. What does this look like to an outside observer sitting 20 feet away who's basically sitting with their, their eye level at my waist or lower? What does it look like then? It certainly takes away the depth of your stage. If you have battle scenes where there are multiple groups of fighting uh, from downstage to upstage, the downstage people are going to be very focused. The backstage people are going to, or the upstage people are going to be mostly background. Uh, they'll see them, they'll get some of it, but they will not be nearly as aware of those people as the ones right in front of their face. Now, this is not true of every theater, of course. I work in a theater here that is a thrust. It's a very big uh, stage, and, and the thrust is on ground level, and the audience on three sides is pretty severely raked, and there's a balcony. Now, that is a great theater to do battle scenes in because I have a playing space that's about 40 feet uh, wide and about 25 feet deep, ringed on three sides by audiences, almost looking down at the at that whole playing space. So if I want to move groups of fighters around that space, I can do it. It's a wonderful place to film or film to to stage big battle scenes because I can use the whole area. I can show tactics and small unit movement and a lot of other different things in that space that I can't in many other spaces that are equally as big but have the audience on a single side looking at almost directly at eye level or below um, you know looking up almost up at the actors I can't do as many things so you have to be aware of your theater first and then know how it's going to look from the audience now what are some strategies to develop your audience eye? Well, one of the biggest strategies that I think has helped me in the past is to videotape your work, even if it's just you walking through the choreography. We Most of us have smartphones, and these smartphones have pretty good video cameras these days. So if you can, set up your video camera, your, your, your cell phone, maybe put it on a tripod or stand it up somewhere, Video yourself, if you have no partner to fight with, walking through those fights. That way you can see what is the audience going to see from this. Your video doesn't have to be at full speed. It just has to give you that outside perspective of what the fight looks like to an observer who's sitting in a fixed location. If you can get assistance to work uh, through the choreography with you, that helps even more. Again, videotape it. But one of the joys I had working in Chicago was working with Victor uh, Bayona and Richard Gilbert uh, and having built-in uh, people to fight with when I'm designing choreography. It was a wonderful thing to have. It also, because there were three of us, one person could film and a couple of people could fight. 
and we could just observe each other's work and go, hmm, I know what you're going for there, but here's what I'm seeing, and we could give that feedback. Another strategy to start developing that eye is if you teach stage combat classes, if you happen to have a show that has some swords in it and you're teaching a sword class uh, of the appropriate style of sword, Sometimes I sneak in bits of choreography that I'm planning for the show to students. That does a couple things for me. One, of course, it tells me if people who have a moderate or low level of training can pick up this choreography in a reasonable amount of time, which is great information for when I'm working with actors who may or may not have had stage combat training. But even more, it shows me on several pairs of actors or groups of actors, depending on the the work, how it looks when presented by someone else. There's an old phrase that I always think, in my mind, this looks great. And then sometimes in reality, you're like, it looks okay, but it doesn't look as wow, doesn't have the pizzazz or the pop that I felt that it had when I was in that first person shooter, if you will. So the more you can develop your audience eye, the more your work will show the benefit of that that, uh, skill. The last takeaway for today about the audience's eye is looking at your choreography through the eyes of the audience will hopefully help you to avoid what I call the confirmation bias of stage combat. Many times we are so familiar with a tried-and-true stage combat illusion that sometimes we fail to recognize when that illusion doesn't work. There are theater spaces uh, that are too close to the action. There are angles that don't work. And sometimes these well-tested stage combat techniques of yesteryear you will find are no longer playing as effectively as they as you thought they did if you're able to step out as an audience member and look critically at your work. There is the tendency of us to know what we are going for. We know we're going to do this two-handed choke, front choke, for example. And so we teach the actors all the safety things we've been taught And then we watch them do it and we go, yeah, that looks great. But it doesn't necessarily look great. Take a look from the audience's eye. Look at your work. See if it really passes mustard. Is it convincing? Assuming it's supposed to be convincing and not a stylized thing you're going for. But you need to be able to step away from what you expect to see happen or the story you know is going on under the choreography and look to see what is actually there. Very often, we see exactly what we expect to see. That's, that's confirmation bias. We look at a piece of work and things that fit our hypothesis that, yes, these, these illusions work and this story is being well told. We accept those and go, see, it works. And we also ignore all the data we see that contradict what we expect. So... It is a problem that affects humans in general in like most areas of our life, but it can affect your work and it becomes frustrating when you believe 
your work is amazing because you have all of the information and you had all the sensory input of what happened when you choreographed it and then it's received with sort of mediocre reviews or or reception and you start wondering what happened it's very easy of course to go well those actors weren't very trained well i didn't have enough rehearsal time or the weapons were subpar and of course all of that may be true that may be what's going on but it may also be that you were viewing your choreography and judging your own work based on how you choreographed it what was going on in your mind when you designed the show and how it felt to do the fight yourself rather than seeing through the audience's eye and being able to judge your work from a neutral standpoint uh, and get an objective assessment of your work. So there you go. That's sort of the, uh, the lesson for this week on, on seeing your fights through the audience's eye. If you find this podcast useful, please do let others know about it. Share it on Facebook. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. And leave a review on the podcast page. I'd appreciate it. Apparently it helps move me up in the rankings and helps other people find it. And if you uh, you really want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash violencedesignlab. And you can pledge a dollar or two a month to help keep the show going. Like, uh, like several people have done that. And even a dollar or so a month really is appreciated. Helps defray the cost of the web hosts and shows that you value the content you're getting week after week. Well, thanks again for your support. And until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com.